0: Hey everybody, it's James Tiley from Cyber.fm, and I'm back with Johnny Fry at Team Blockchain. We get to do another podcast for another newsletter, but this time, Johnny's not in Australia. He's back. Everything's back. Everything's normal. I feel like I'm I'm in my safe place, because Johnny's back. Back again. (laughs) Oh, you didn't miss me, did you, James? I missed our regular schedule. That's what I missed. Making know. me get up at 3 o'clock in the morning was <laughs> kind of a dicky move. Do
1: you know, I, I did actually screw up whilst we were away because uh, someone from uh, a, a, from London said, would I um, come in on a uh, like a panel interview talking about, is this apocalypse now? You know, our equity markets going to just disappear down the pan and we're going to go back to the gold and all this scary, hairy stuff because bonds are going to collapse and all that. I said, yeah, yeah, sure. And I realized that actually... Um, British summertime had started, but it hadn't started in Australia or wintertime, or whatever. And so I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning and be all bright and breezy, ready for a five o'clock in the morning hours session all about stock markets and bonds and crypto and tokenization. And I'm sitting there going, "I'm so tired. I just want to go out to bed." <laughs> but uh, but there five you o'clock go. in five o'clock in the morning, can we it's please discuss P and L? Yeah, but uh, but no, yeah. Well, welcome to this week's Digital bites and say this week we, we've got a number of different articles we'll look at the metaverse a peep into the virtual world that's a dangerous um, subject not, well and i know you have you've, you've said um well we're not going to touch on that today but um but that's in this week's article i'll talk um, forever we've also about got it. cryptos like we'll crypto should we rename them digital assets um because cryptos arguably are just one part of that whole digital asset community but we'll come on to that um And then we're also talking about CBDs and stable coins and pose the question, is the wait finally over? Um, And then the final thing um, we we talk about is solving the Oracle problem of our crypto anchors. So I don't think they're anchors as in the things you had in ships, but um, coming up after the break, we've got uh, Leon from SunnyFed, which uh, Leon's based here in Europe. He's based in Amsterdam, but I saw his colleagues in Melbourne when I was in Australia because Sunny is all about renewable energy, solar farms, and how they can actually literally second by second measure the amount of power that's coming off of various different solar panels. And then you can track um, that power so that you can be certain that you're getting renewable energy because you can track it, you know, minute by minute. And if you're an investor, potentially you could be being paid, say, every hour based on how much the sun shined or how much the wind's blown so just makes a whole different asset
0: class um, from electricity. But but more of that after the break, James. Yeah, I'm gonna hound him about, you know, A, I've discovered that I'm an Oracle, and I think Leon's gonna back that up. <laughs> I'm gonna change my name. You will maybe maybe I'll have him introduce me as James Tiley of the Oracle. You could just be James O. James O. James O. <laughs> And, the then we'll, and then I'll I'll beat him about the EV, my my BMW. Maybe I can get paid to drive. You, you could do, yeah. Well, you're the font of all knowledge, so you should be an oracle. Should be an oracle on electricity while driving. <laughs> but <laughs> but tell me about the because uh, we could talk all day too about cryptos. But, but what is the stable? What am I waiting for that that the wait is finally over? I okay, I didn't hear so, any new news.
1: Okay, so. As we've sort of mentioned before, you know, historically, the um, take up of digital assets, of cryptocurrencies has all been around, um, if you like, people wanting to find a way around the financial system, not deal with the banks and the clearinghouses and stock exchanges, and be able to transfer value sort of one-to-one um, and cut out all the intermediaries. And the, the problem with many different digital assets, whether it be typical cryptos or whether it be the sort of digitalization of property or real estate, bonds or equities, is that they're, they're, they're quite volatile and they go up and down quite a lot. But the, the people have come up with this terminology, a stable coin. And a stable coin is really being misnamed. It shouldn't be a stable coin. It should be a pegged coin. So something that's pegged to typically um, a fiat currency. So many of your listeners um, will be familiar with something like USDT, which is US dollar tether or USDC, which is US dollar circle. And these are backed, well, Tether, we're not 100% sure, but certainly USDC is 100% backed by US dollars. And what that enables you then to do is to transfer, move money around very, very quickly, um, very, very cheaply. That's just quite frankly, not um, as as efficient using bank deposits. And indeed in um, Africa this year, we've seen something like a two and a percent increase in the number of people doing um, digital transfers and digital using digital currencies because they're moving money, um, you know, between different countries, remitting it back to their loved ones and family. And instead of using people like TransferWise or I know Western Union, they're using digital wallets to transfer money around. But the reason we're saying the wait is finally over is that, Um, For regular listeners, you'll be familiar because we've talked about it, the digital wang, which is the Chinese currency. And there's now over well nearly 250 million digital wallets in China that are using the state-backed, state-run digital currency. But we're beginning to see other jurisdictions. So as we talk about in the article, uh, the Bank of Japan have just announced last week that they're going to go to the second phase of their central bank digital um, currency project they're working on. And then whilst I was down in Australia, we saw ANZ Bank, which is one of, the, um, one of the biggest banks down in Australia. And they became the first bank in Australia to create over 30 million US, um, Australian dollars worth of a cashback stablecoin. Now, this, this raises some interesting questions, because if you go into Australia and you've got more than $10,000 worth of cash in your wallet, then you have to declare that. But if you go into Australia um, and provided you've not been hacked um, and you've still got it on your phone or you've got it on a, a nano stick or you've, you know, you go in with $10,000 worth of cash, what are you meant to do, James? Are you meant to fill out the form and declare it? But so that's a- where is that money? I'm, and I'm talking about Australian backed
0: stablecoin. Okay, so do, do you declare it? Do I? All right. So if I have an Australian-backed stable coin, and it's on my ledger in my yeah. pocket, am I carrying cash?
1: That's the point. Are you carrying cash? Because when you plug your ledger or your let's say you got it in your mobile phone, you plug your mobile phone into somewhere for um, you know to, to then get access to it. Is that cash? I don't know. Is it in Sydney? Uh, is it in Singapore? Is it in London? Is it New York? I, is it decentralized? Where is that cash? And if it's already in the country, well, why are you declaring it if it's already sitting in a bank vault
0: in Sydney? Right. So, and you could argue in theory it's, it's already there. I came to it. Already there. So, so, So it's not straightforward,
1: but the reason we wrote about the article was because once you've got a stable coin... It enables you then to start making micro payments, so you can start being paid your dividends or your coupons or your rent um, based on perhaps the number of days that you've owned the share or owned the bond or rented out a property. Um, you can make micro payments. So coming up after the break, we're talking about Sunnifed. You know they can make point 0.001 cent payments to you, which over time build up into. Dollars and tens of dollars and thousands of dollars, but you can see that income coming in, um, maybe on a hourly basis, which those sorts of things are just not possible with with fiat currencies. And and apologies for the sort of slight UK sort of bias about this, but what we've seen in the last two weeks has been, it's almost like I don't know whether as a kid you used to do dot to dots. So you have lots of dots and you and you go one, two, three, four, et cetera, et cetera. And when you join them all up, you had a picture of a clown or a dog or something like that. Did you, did you have that as a kid? Yeah, I remember that. You, you, yeah, you followed it with your pencil, right? Yeah, yeah. And it seems a little bit like that when it comes to digital assets and stable coins and, and potentially central bank digital currencies here in the UK. Because first of all, the Bank of England released a paper saying um, that you know we need to start looking at um, digital currencies and digital assets and we put out a cons- consultation paper and basically being quite accommodative. The next day, the deputy bank of the um, Bank of England, chap called Sam Wood, um, was even more vociferous and even more supportive and even more open-minded about it. And you think, oh, okay, well, that's all well and good. Um, but where's the action? Follow it up with some action. Um, and so we then saw last Friday um, a company called Finality, and Finality is backed owned by a variety of very, very well-known financial institutions. And Finality announced that um, Euroclear, which is, um, you know, a, a very big deal in Europe in terms of equity settlement and the clearance of equities, stocks and shares, announced that they'd become, they'd invested in Finality and become a shareholder. And at the same time, Finality announced that they had been offered banking facilities by the Bank of England. Now, the reason that's so significant is that um, the Bank of England only give give banking facilities to banks, central banks, and very, very exceptional cases, sort of one-off institutions. And to the best of our knowledge, they don't give anyone the ability to have a bank account with the Bank of England and then be outside of something called gross real-time settlement. And this is like the netting off Account facility that the Bank of England runs on behalf of all the different banks, you know, HSBC owned Barclays and Barclays owned NatWest and NatWest owned, you know, Clearbank, et cetera, et cetera. And what they're saying is, no, you, we're going to give you a banking relationship and it can operate outside of gross real-time settlement because gross real-time settlement only operates nine to five, whereas they want to potentially operate as a stable coin with a cash held at the Bank of England 24-7. And that's um, that sort of stable coin that Finality will be launching, they're saying, in October this year. And then the final sort of dot or, or piece of the jigsaw puzzle is the UK government then um, this this week, this Monday. So last Friday we had this thing from Finality. And then on Monday, the government coming out with a report. And I quote, the government sets out a plan to make UK a global crypto asset technology hub. The UK government today has announced moves that will see stable coins recognized as a valid form of payment as part of wider plans to make Britain a global hub for crypto asset technology and investment. Now, that's from the UK government, from our, you know, the guy that's in charge of all our financing check called Rishi Sunak. Um, you can't get much more accommodative and supportive of not only our central bank, the Bank of England, but our, our exchequer. Um, Charles, the exchequer, coming out with that sort of comment. So, you know, finally, the weights over. Finally, if you like, they've revealed their hand and saying, okay, maybe not all this crypto stuff and digital asset stuff. Maybe it isn't for the birds and the bees. Maybe it's something we need to get on board. Um, and the reason that they maybe need to do that is that I was talking to um, an exchange here in um, London just yesterday, and they have 45 staff as a startup business, but 45 staff being paid, you know, the turnover of that company is tens. It's actually hundreds of thousands of pounds a month. Well, that's hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of tax, which the UK government is now enjoying the benefit of. And what we were seeing was lots and lots of companies leaving um, the UK and going to more crypto-friendly jurisdictions. And that's indeed also been the case um, in parts of Europe and also been case, so I know in in America. So, I think that the the fact that you're going to start seeing these digital backed stable coins pegged to, if you like, fiat currency it doesn't mean the government's lost control. Because if I want to have a billion in a stable coin, I've got to go to the government and, or the Bank of England. I've got to get a billion dollars or a billion yen or a billion. So it's not a matter of creating money out of thin air, but it is a matter of taking money that's in the system and locking it up into like a treasury account and saying that money is going to back and, and peg my digital asset i a stablecoin. stable coin. So that, that's why we think the weight's finally over and why it's so important. And, and off the back of all that, we've seen PwC um, come out with their second report all about global central bank digital currencies and stable coins and, and diff- what different countries are doing and what are the different types of stable coins that are in the marketplace. So, yeah, all, all of that. There's loads of, loads of hot links to different websites and publications to support all that. But we think this is a really quite, quite a critical point. And once we see the UK, I think Europe is going to increase the pressure of the digital euro. And as I said to you before, I think before the end of this year, it wouldn't be at all surprised whether we see a much, much more endorsement from the US to have some form of some sort of digital currency with their
0: blessing or possibly even they actually issue it. You know, and there's one thing that seems to be I – w- I was thinking about this earlier because we know what China did with the digital yen, right? And Nigeria, uh, their CDBC, you know, they're yeah. handing out wallets, right? And you had said well, in the United States, the rumor right now is that, yes, we'll have a digital dollar. But no, it's not going to be a public blockchain yep. scenario, the, and that's it, fine. Me
1: cash they're talking about, aren't
0: they? It's gonna be e cash and it's going to be for for sake of argument, tether, you know, in a private network. Yep. But we would still have our wallet and uh I I might not know you as zero X four nine three, you know, you're just Johnny. And they'll work all that out. But what I see different when I'm when I read the article I, I thought of the it sounds to me like the Bank of England is going to grant these cash back stable coins. Let, let's say they can they grant finality and two others, right, yeah. for a total of three, for the sake yeah. of the argument. How, in my mind, how does this? There's no digital euro yet, yeah. to to the best of my knowledge, right? So, yeah, no, there is, there is, there is. Yeah, there's a digital euro. It's called Euro
1: dot L, and it was issued by Casino, which is a French supermarket. With 25 supermarkets all over Europe and Latin America,
0: I, I remember that you're right.
1: Yeah, and that's the one that every month PwC do the accretations. So, so they make sure there's enough euros compared to the number of tokens out there.
0: My my mind had gone back to where you know you can you got your instant settlement right. You do you don't have a T plus three or anything like that. So I was thinking about like social welfare or universal basic income, regardless of what your opinion is on it. The ability to stream payments to people, maybe in, in, in a welfare state or something of that, but, you know, you're not waiting for payday. Yeah. If they could stream the smaller amounts in real time, you know that, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you're going to be able to buy food if, if you're on a, on a yeah. social security type system. So, which, which I think we would all agree would be a, a, a pro as opposed to a con. Nobody wants to wait a month for a payment. So would it be that digital euro that these CBDCs support or is it the other way around?
1: Well, I think I think
0: all, as you're
1: ref, touching on there, what a what the digital currency enables is just more efficiency. So maybe you say that we're actually going to make payments every week or every three days and – because because it's digital it doesn't have to go through the normal banking system but but the underlying asset that backs that transfer of value if you like digitally it's backed by cash now okay there are there's a whole question of well how safe is the cash you know if you look at the the value of the dollar and the yen and sterling, how have they performed against inflation over the last twenty years well they've been a disaster right but but if we accept the fact that we want to have something stable, and look, for me, pound sterling is stable because that's what I typically earn. That's typically what I spend, unless I go on business or holidays, you know, like I've been to Australia recently. But for you, pound sterling is not very stable because the pound goes up and down against the dollar. Now, over the last, I'm going back probably 40 years at a guess, the swing between the pound and the dollar has been between. to one pound up to $2 to one pound. And we're currently talking about $130 to the pound. But that's a big swing in terms of, you know, from your perspective, if you started having, if you took a pound stable coin, but you think the dollar for you is very stable because that's what you earn and that's what you spend it. But it does raise that question. What else could you be paid in? And how long are we going to see the dominance of the U.S. dollar as a world reserve currency? And what could take over from that? Do we really think it's going to be the digital um, one out of of China? Or is it going to be something else? Is it going to be a digital currency backed by a basket of commodities, equities, bonds, real estate? Is it going to be some sort of currency backed by, by property? But the reality is, is that we've over the last nearly 570 years, we've seen six different world reserve currencies and the average life of a world reserve currency is 94 years. Well, the US dollar has been the reserve currency now for just over 100 years. And and it took over from pound sterling and pound sterling took over um, from, you know, the from the French franc and the French franc took over from the Dutch guilder, and the Dutch guilder took over from the Spanish real and the, or the Spanish peseta, if you like. And, and then that took over in turn from the Portuguese real. And that was back in 1554, I think it was from memory. So, so my point is, is that the US dollar will not in 20 years time, almost guarantee be the world reserve currency. It's swimming under a mountain of debt. It, it's no longer the the world economic powerhouse that it was. So it's only natural that it will face a degree of decline and something replace it. And, and normally, world currencies have been replaced as a result of war. But now maybe it's a result of an economic war, a shifting of, as we see, someone like America and its population declining because people are having less babies. You know, Maybe we're going to see... Other countries um, that have got much more dynamic economies, maybe they'll take up the slack. But I I can't see any country that's going to be trusted or used as the world reserve currency. So maybe it's going to be some other form of world digital currency. And and I think this is what stable coins and CBDCs are laying the foundation because you can have a cash backed, a US dollar backed stable coin. Um, or you could have it backed by gold, or you could have it backed by a basket of commodities, or it could be backed by the NASDAQ, or it could be backed by, you know, the global um, Morgan Stanley Capital Index, all the stock markets in the world, or whatever you want to be. But the first building block is going to be something backed by something really simple, and that's cash, and we all understand that.
0: Or we're going to wind up backing everything by Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin was the the original crypto. Are we going to... You know what's going to happen? We have to make a decision. And this goes to your other article about if there's going to be so many and, and we're not sure which route this is going in, do we keep calling them cryptos? Do we keep calling them digital assets? <laughs> do we, do we but, make up a new name? You know, it's yeah. CBDC. <laughs> not exactly exciting, is it? Central bank digital currency. <laughs> that doesn't make me
1: feel good at all. No. Well, and the problem with the CBDC is what, what the Chinese are doing where they are monitoring absolutely everything. What are you buying? How much? Where?
0: And with who? Right. We saw that with the Olympics, with people that don't, they're not citizens of China, right? And they were still yep. subject.
1: Yeah. But, but here, here in Europe, if you try and spend, as a French citizen, you spend more than a thousand euros in cash. That is illegal. You're not allowed to do it.
2: And it goes back to
1: what I was saying to you at the beginning of the show about, you know, if I walk into Australia, if I walk into America and I have more than $10,000 on me, I have to make a declaration. The US government insists that I actually tell you, you know, what have I, you know, what have I got? Whereas if I walk into the US, you know, with a with digital representation of the US dollar, you know, USDC, then they don't tell me I've got to disclose it so regulation and legislation has got to catch up with these digital assets and, and, and you're right you know you know cryptocurrency well what is a cryptocurrency um and you know is a stable corner cryptocurrency well not really is an nft a stable a, a cryptocurrency well we had this argument before some people say yes by the legal definition but when you look at the market cap on something like you know um i don't know coin gecko And you say, what's the market cap of cryptocurrencies? Well, they don't add up all the non-fungible tokens and say, oh, well, it's cryptocurrencies plus non-fungible tokens because that's all the same. And as we start seeing debt and equities and real estate and, you know, son we'll be talking to us after the break about um, wrapping electrons in a digital format. Well, are we going to have all of the assets all bundled together as cryptocurrencies? I I just don't think it's going to happen. So. Yes, I think we need to start looking at digital assets and digital assets come in different formats, so crypto like Bitcoin, um, or it might be um, something like we, we, we talk about a, a, a token you may not have heard of before, a NIRE token, N-I-R-E. And that's backed by nickel wire or, or nickel chrome. And that you need to have in car batteries, gas turbine blades, rocket engines. So we're going to need lots and lots of nickel chrome. So if you think that, how do I get exposure to nickel chrome? You know, I've got a thousand bucks. I want to put. Well, now you could go and buy Nia token, and it's a hundred percent backed in a secure storage facility somewhere in Germany. Um, you know, a thou you'd be buying a thousand dollars of that particular commodity. So now you've got you can start seeing how you know that is completely different from having. USDC or Bitcoin or Solana or anyone else you want to mention. So we, it, it covers a multitude of opportunities a multitude of sins by simply referring to it as, as crypto. And we're not even going to get involved in talking about Doge and the fact that he's gone up 150% this week because, you know, good old Mr. Musk has gone out and bought a big slug of Twitter um, and all those other different types of coins out there. So in the article, we, we list out a, a whole range of different... Um, Cryptos that are out there, and you can see how they're very, very different to perhaps the original Bitcoin that you you were talking about earlier on there, James.
0: It, it really puts me towards the whole band camp of their assets and their property. I, mean, I, I, I almost don't want to think about coins anymore. If I'm if I'm tokenizing a, an equity, or if I'm remember earlier in the month uh, earlier in the month, if I'm tokenizing fractions of my home in real estate it's all property everything is in theory a dollar is property when it's in my wallet it's my property
1: yep
0: so i'm i'm going to say that i'm of the opinion where we start calling nfts and and anything if it's if it has a value that is accepted by someone else it's a digital asset i that i guess that's where i went it's an asset yeah and they oh. and why not why not be able to say well james in the traditional markets we have you know there's a big difference between bond and equities right debt and value so yeah. why wouldn't you just have electronic bonds electronic equity well maybe there's not one word uh,
1: but you know but they are different types of assets and i think that's the whole point these electronic digital
0: it can't assets. all be <laughs> cryptocurrency.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and 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 it was interesting. One of the things one of the things in Australia when I was out there, this whole conversation came about, oh, looks like there's a big education, Johnny, that people need to understand what is an NFT, what's D5, what's a metaverse, you know, what's a hot wallet, cold wallet. And I said, no, 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 no. It's not education. It's re education because we all come to the party with our own baggage and perceptions. And, you know, if, if, you, if I give you the FCA definition, there are regulators regulator here in the UK, and they say that NFTs are cryptocurrencies because a cryptographically secured digital representation of value or contractual rights that are powered by forms of distributed ledger technology that can be stored or transferred electronically, that's the definition of a cryptocurrency. Well, that sounds very similar to an NFT, but there's lots of people who argue NFTs are not cryptocurrencies. So we've got to try and relearn some of this wordy technology and acronyms and, and try and really look at them. What is it that we're doing? And again, I go back to the simplistic example. I walk in with 1000 thousand, ten thousand $10,000 into the US, which you're familiar with. I'm meant to declare that. But if I walk in with $10,000 worth of USDC, which is 100% backed by US dollars, legally, do I declare it? And I, I don't have the answer to that one, but I'm sure people have a mixed view. And I'm sure people will, will email and tell us what they think, which is, which is, I mean, it cool. must
0: happen every day. Of course it does. Of course it does. And but, you, you also intrigued me with the, you can't from France, go to the UK and, and buy a thousand dollar thousand euros if you're a french citizen
1: and the, the spanish have just reduced it from two and a half thousand euros to a thousand so basically governments are trying to say no we don't want to use cash and i've i've talked about this funny i was in a meeting yesterday i mentioned this to someone and they said yeah but why would you want to spend a thousand euros what, what are you trying to hide i said i'm not trying to hide anything but why should the government dictate to me in theory in a free country how i spend my money yeah, yeah, but you're, you're obviously doing something a bit dodgy if you want to buy something for a 1,000 euros. I said, well, why do you jump to that conclusion?
0: If you live in France, you're a citizen of France, yep. dumb this down, like, explain like I'm five, right? I'm in France. I live in France. I'm happy I'm a Frenchman. And I spot... Well, you probably wouldn't be happy as a Frenchman. Frenchmen are not that happy usually.
1: So They're not
0: happy. <laughs> so I'm they angry. I'm pissed wife. off right now. I'm a mad at my they car. love frogs legs. They love their snails. Oh, yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> I, need not a, a I need a Royale with cheese. <laughs> well, they have French fries, don't they? They're just called fries. Just fries. Just fries. But Fra- <laughs> I live in <laughs> France. <laughs> now I regret living. In, you ruined France for me. So I live in France, <laughs> and now I'm looking to get out. So now I I, I come over to the, to London and I say I'm going to buy this 1986.
1: Fiat. No, no, that's okay. No, no, you're okay. Cause that, no, it's if you're in France and you want to buy that car, and you've 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 got a thousand, you get ten thousand euros because Granny died and she left you ten thousand euros. Okay. And you said, yeah, okay. Well, I I'm, I didn't put it in the bank because I have got an overdraft, and if I, the bank's just going to nick all my money, but I promised Granny I'd buy myself a car, and you go and buy that car for ten thousand euros um, in France you are, you could face some sort of prosecution from the French government because that's illegal. Your money, well, it's granny's money. She gave it to you. You're not allowed to do that. You've got to put it in the bank and then use a debit credit card to pay for it. For a used car? For a used car. That's incredible. Look, It's no, it's no different to what Trudeau did a couple of weeks ago when he managed to get the bank accounts of the lorry drivers and he got them to freeze their bank accounts.
0: Yeah, okay, I'm with you which was you know, probably the most disturbing news headlines for like a week. Uh, it was, it, you know, that just goes to show what the governments can do. That's why a lot of people
1: have cash. I don't want you to know what I'm doing and where I'm going. And it's none of your business. I've worked, I've paid my taxes. It's, it, that's, and that's what I'm going to do. But, but that's the minority. Fewer and fewer people are actually, actually have a wallet, let alone use cash.
0: I I guess so. I guess if I live in France, I'm not out shopping for anything outside of france huh no
1: well you're shopping for your frog's legs aren't you and your snails and they're thousand dollars worth of and they're beautiful, and they're beautiful legs. wine they've got some great wine not French too bread. keen on the perno or ricky ricard i don't know do you like do you like perno perno yeah it's like a aniseed drink ricard
0: mm. james we're i mean i'd be yeah, well- I like i like corona Europe. And Jack Peroni—that's a—that's bi- a lager, that's a beer. you bastard That's a beer, and I like Jack Daniels. Yeah, Jack Dan- no. Peroni is a not Peroni.
1: P- Perno is a. You you put it's a bit like ouzo. You ever been to Greece? No ouzo. Oh, I
0: you don't want to talk about ouzo with me. Oh, well, it tastes like ouzo. I have a horrible story about what ouzo did to me. <laughs> you didn't get legless again. I oh, the story does revolve around me being in a wheelchair with, <laughs> with the ouzo. I. I Probably not the right target audience right now. <laughs> look, James, we better
1: wind this up. Um, we got we got Leon coming on from Sunday Fed after the break, but uh, I know you and I could chat on ages and ages. But um, obviously, if anyone wants to get a copy of this week's Digital Bites or get it on a regular basis, we send out every Wednesday. Um, and it's really trying to look at how, where, and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used in different jurisdictions and different industries. And hopefully today's giving you a feel for... Some of the different things we uh, we touch on, and if you'd like a copy, then just contact uh, James Tiley at Cyber or myself, Johnny Fry at Team Blockchain. We're we're
0: both on the uh, LinkedIn, and we'd be delighted to hear from you. Uh, is it Cyber FM? It is Cyber It, is. Cyber. F- it could it could be Thank anything you. John Waite wants it to be. Yeah, I know. Oh my <laughs> God! Yeah, here we go. That one. Hi, this is John Waite and you're listening
2: to cyber.fm. FM.
0: Can I call you Dad? <laughs> no. And we're back. Johnny's still lacking the Australian accent. Thank God. We got over that real quick. Johnny's back and he brought our friend Leon. I'm going to call him LG. I think we're best friends now because in the article that we're covering all week, uh, we talk about oracles and how it's mentioned in the dictionary. Someone who knows a lot about a subject and can give good advice. Well, here you are with your Oracle, James Tiley and his sidekick. I like how I knock him down a little bit. Johnny Fry. Johnny, bring your friend on. i gotta, I got to be all pumped uh, up about being an oracle. James, I know
1: you're super excited because you thought you were the oracle. Um, but actually... Um, I'm Batman. Well, he's, yeah, more like Batwoman, but that's probably another story. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm really pleased this week. Um, we've got Leon, who um, actually originally hails from Australia, but he's been um, hanging out in the land of clogs. He's, he's in been in Amsterdam, stuck in Holland for, for a few years now, courtesy of COVID. Um, and we're going to talk about crypto anchors. Um, Leon, well, welcome to the show and um, good to have you on the Digital Byte show with James and I. And perhaps you can just explain a little bit about sort of the background of, you know, how the heck did you get involved in sort of blockchain and crypto anchors and and solar energy? It's quite a, quite a heady cocktail mixture.
2: Yeah. Thank you, James. And thank you, Johnny. Uh, it's a bit of a, a journey that I've been on and the... Uh, The adventure that started when I uh, basically was involved with the first version of digital money uh, for U.S. Navy. Uh, Some um, friends of I in Australia, we created a a smart card called U.S. Navy Cash. And this was a a first form of digital money. It was centralized money. And it replaced all the cash and coin on Navy ships. And it was all backed and held, you know, with a kind of uh, counter on a smart card. And J.P. Morgan, uh, gotta love them. They ran the float. And uh, the there was no cash and coin allowed on any navy ship or any navy base, and even the marines they all shifted over to this. And that was my journey into digital money and the theory of money. And when Bitcoin came along, I bought my first Bitcoin at seven bucks. I mined Bitcoin in a containerized way, uh, gradually in China, and uh, we finally got a chip to work uh, to do the mining. And uh, the chip could not scale to this kind of difficulty uh, level of Bitcoin mining that it goes through, and kind of auto ranges and corrects the difficulty level. And at the end of the day, we got our capital back, and that was an adventure in dealing with hardware around ASIC mining and containerized mining in China, and that was in 2012, 2013. And uh, I basically, what were you doing in China?
1: Why were you doing containerized mining in China?
2: Yeah, we're, we're part of a company that uh, we're making devices and sensors and and pause terminals and ways to make machines talk to other machines and do transactions. So I've always been involved with uh, this concept of machine-to-machine communications. What could you do to, to enable that? And uh, we created the architecture to kind of make that happen. And after my Bitcoin mining adventure, I thought, how can we create a type of crypto proof, but directly on a solar panel where we measure the energy, uh, but we don't burn it. And we link those crypto proofs all together directly using some of the things that I already know about SIM cards and smart cards. And we put together a SIM card and a Bluetooth chip, and we prove that this is all possible to to measure um, the solar panel, uh, to turn it into a blockchain kind of heartbeat of truth, And uh, that heartbeat of truth is really measured by something called a crypto anchor. We create the genesis block of that solar panel when it's installed, and it creates these little uh, heartbeats of truth every 30 seconds and accumulates that that data into a, a blockchain asset class. So we can tokenize the asset, we can tokenize the energy, we can mint the carbon credits and create a data set that's very useful for the industry. And that's really the the utility that we're trying to bring in, in this embodiment that we're calling a unity chip for uh, for crypto anchoring.
1: Okay, hang on, hang on. You've hit me with double barrel. I know you got a double barrel surname or first name, but you hit us with so much information. So exactly. You start, so you started out on the high seas with a Navy and you created, yep. it sounds a lot like a, a pre-charged sort of um, a charge card. It is, or is yeah, it, it was, was a stored,
2: stored value card, but it was a payroll card. So it had a chip had a chip um, for storing your salary, and that salary was, um, you know, draw down while you're on ship or in the Navy base. But when you went ship to shore and you landed somewhere in Japan or in Italy, in Naples with part of the, the wild Marine fleet, you could pull your money out of the, the hole in the wall called an ATM, um, just using the Magstripe. stripe. So yeah. it was all integrated on MasterCard, and it was... A stored value card uh, on on the ship. So these were little islands of, of cash that uh, had their own little ecosystem. Okay. And, uh, uh, okay. That, and that-, that, pro- that product is still working. It's called U.S. Navy Cash, and it's still there. And J.P. Morgan are making out uh, like bandits, running the float. Okay, but and, and that's that's an,
1: an electronic
2: form of cash. Correct.
1: Um, it was nothing. There was nothing on the blockchain. It was very centralized and controlled <laughs> by J.P. Morgan.
2: <laughs> Um,
1: but that yeah, gave this was
2: 1999, 2000. So this is all pre-blockchain. Yep. Yeah.
1: OK. But but that gave you the genesis of an idea to because from what you're saying, effectively, you're putting a digital wrapper around electrons of energy created by solar panels. So every 30 seconds. Correct. You're, correct. You're creating like a little, as you call it, a crypto anchor. It, it's something it's information. It says how much electricity was produced and where it was produced. Is that correct?
2: Exactly. And by using the data structure of blockchains, we can roll those, uh, those proofs as a type of Merkle tree and create an aggregate proof for the, the panels all put together in something called a string, and then the aggregate proof for the whole solar park. So we can prove from the bottom up what the whole park has done in a production type measure, and we can have that as a piece of objective truth of what the panel's performance actually is.
1: Okay, so that's got that's got a number of implications, first of all, um, at the sort of very grubby level of cash, which, I know, is very near and dear to James's heart. An investor could potentially, therefore, um, be could see how much income is being generated based on the number of, say, solar panels that they that they own. And that income is accruing and potentially could be payable every every day, probably even every hour, because this thing, every 30 seconds, you're you're producing a block of information and that information pertains to electrons created by electricity, which could be sold and have a market
2: price. Absolutely. So that's right. And in, in, uh, in Australia, where our first parks are, Uh, We have 10 periods of 30 seconds. That equals five minutes, if you do the math. Every five minutes, the energy in the Australian marketplace is traded. So there's a spot market every five minutes where there's a number of players that there's a bid and an ask and a spot marketplace for the the energy. There's also a futures market and a, a contracts or derivatives market as well. So on, on every energy marketplace, there's kind of a, a couple of other markets as well. And the data, the data that we're creating with the crypto anchor is very useful for predicting the solar park, for making sure that the dispatch follows a forecast. And you can then bid more aggressively into the spot market by having that confidence of the data that our, that our crypto anchors uh, provide. Uh, OK, but, but
1: sorry, but I just want to just keep it really simple here so I can see from the investor point of view. But what I'm quite intrigued here is that the, the level and the granular, granularity of the data you're creating must also be really good as part of um, proof, as part of the Oracle, as, as you say in your, in your article, solving the Oracle problem, because yep. you, you can create information, which means for financiers, for people lending money or for the banks or people insuring the solar parks. You can prove, you know, what's the loss of income being, because once you've got the data over, what, two, three, six months, you've got a very, very accurate. This is how much these solar panels produce. Therefore, if they go down, well, we need some insurance. And this is the value of insurance. Have I got the right understanding?
2: Yeah, you've got the right answer, but also we can track maybe an insurable event. So if, uh, if we can track with some other sensors that are on the, on the crypto anchor, we can track if there was a weather event uh, concurrent with uh, maybe some damage on the solar panels. So we have a vibration sensor on, on the crypto anchor as well. Uh, and so we can track and see if there is a weather event, maybe a hailstorm or a windstorm. So we can actually track and see, was that really an insurance claim? Or is something else happened to drop off that performance?
1: Okay, so so before you had crypto anchors and blockchain technology, how was solar? What, what were they using before then? Why is you know were that did they have? Because I understand you got smart meters on some solar farms and yep. um, panels and stuff. What's the difference between a smart meter and what you're talking about?
2: Yeah, so a smart meter takes the uh, export of the AC energy after it's gone through its. Uh, it's a inverter and it goes from DC energy on the solar panel, mm-hmm. uh, AC energy coming out of the inverter. And solar farms also have submeters where they measure what what is the value of an aggregate uh, set of solar panels, maybe 10 or up to 30, all in a row called a string. but it's very rare to find a solar park that actually measure uh, a per panel basis of the performance of the solar park. And uh, what, this is because
1: doing, but what's the advantage of doing a per panel though, Leon?
2: Yeah, for per panel, we can do uh, this data resolution and this big data becomes something that then we can build a machine learning model and machine learning allows us to build insights as to predictive maintenance on the park what will be the dispatch according to the weather and the future weather patterns for the park. Mm -hmm. And then we can also do AI. Eventually, once we have machine learning and some good algorithms that have been back-tested, we'll be able to do predictive maintenance using AI and also do predictive dispatch and be able to forward forecast what the park will be able to do to to meet those energy needs in a spot market or into a futures market. Okay, but couldn't you do
1: that all... Uh, what I'm trying to understand is what, what's the what's the what's the USP? Because you've got these yep. smart meters that are doing it with process, as you call them, a string of solar panels. Yep. What, what's what's the USP of being able to do it per panel and then sticking it on on a blockchain um, and doing it a very granular? Because you're creating huge amounts of data that there yep. must be some real added value by doing that.
2: Yeah, there is added value around the accuracy of the machine learning model. So if you only have one data point that's an aggregate in the smart meter, then, then your model is going to have huge variance compared to our model that would be machine learning based. Yep. Also, you you cannot find where the, if you're going to troubleshoot, you have to send a technician and maybe a drone camera out with an infrared kind of radar to figure out where there's a failure in the in that string, and you have to go measure each ten of each of the ten panels to do your diagnostics by having a sensor per panel. we can direct the technician to say, "Okay, go look at panel number eight at this geolocation that's that's where there's a problem so you- th- there's a lot of specificity that we can bring to the insights and the model in maintaining a solar park. And we think just on the maintenance cycle, we can have the O&M costs, the operations and maintenance of a solar park. We think we can reduce that by almost 50 um, percent by having that data and having the insights.
1: And could you use the same sort of technology
2: on, um, on wind farms? Yeah, definitely. So we can bring our sensors to wind farms. We can bring it to biogas. We can put the unity sensor into substations and try and track the energy that is tagged Green from our solar panels right into the, the mid-voltage grid. And the, we have some interesting discussions happening with uh, grid providers in Europe to, to do just that. Okay. And, and
1: you also said at the beginning that you're able to, at the same time of um, capturing this information, you're also able to presumably automatically create carbon
2: carbon certificates, which obviously have a value and can be traded yeah so so the thing about carbon credits is, is all about additionality. How do you prove that the, the carbon credit that it was made you know came from something that actually uh, abated carbon or kind of saved that that carbon footprint yeah. and definitely it, green energy is one of those things. Um, if you follow uh, one standard called the gold, gold standard, those are engineered credits. So you either have a hydro dam or some sort of you know, spinning kind of electrical generation that says, We have produced green energy, therefore we've reduced the grid by this much. So one megawatt of green energy has displaced so many megawatts or a megawatt of brown energy. In Australia, that's important because there's so much fossil fuel on on the grid right now. There's a huge carbon footprint for the coal generation that's done in Australia. But what we're able to do is to mint these carbon credits per solar panel and deliver those to the market within that five-minute period rather than waiting for a government register to uh, accumulate these credits through a a regulated carbon method. And they take up to 30 to 90 days for this to happen. And so therefore, as a solar park owner operator, you're waiting 90 days to sell your carbon credits. That's hardly fungible or liquid. So what we need to do is to offer new ways to um, monetize a solar park. And by doing this with crypto anchors, we bring new revenue models to the solar park owner operator and their financiers. Okay, so, but you're also able to calculate those
1: carbon credits in, in effectively real time to offset the real time mobility of, of people yep. burning, as said, burning fossil fuels or whatever.
2: Yeah, so there's been an initiative out of the UK, where you hail, called um, Energy Tag. If you go to energytag.org, we're part of the consortium that is contributing to that standard where we can deliver energy tags every five minutes to a customer that would have a carbon footprint and we can we can deliver them carbon credits from our solar park just in time as they consume brown energy maybe when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining they have a carbon footprint and we can abate that uh, that uh, carbon footprint live rather than doing it quarterly as some kind of accounting fiddle
1: Okay, so I, I've just, as James knows, I've just, well, I saw some of your colleagues in Australia as well, in Melbourne. Um, and, the, you know, I on, on the airline, I flew with Japanese airlines, who, by the way, were absolutely superb. And I, I could actually pay some money to offset my carbon footprint of flying. So airlines, presumably the sort of people that would want to use energy tag and use some of the carbon credits that you're creating to offset, you know, the
2: amount of fuel they're burning and the and the sort of carbon they're emitting, presumably. Is that, that's, yes. that's an example, I yes. suppose. Airlines, data centers. Right now, energy tag is being embraced by Facebook, Apple, and Google. So all the, you know, part of the FANG company communities have done that. And this goes to geographically linking where the energy emissions, where the carbon emissions are and the energy abatement should be, rather than buying carbon credits from some rainforest carbon stand, which is important, but it doesn't actually change the behavior of your local environment because we should be decarbonizing the local ecosystem, not not fiddling the books after the yeah. fact.
1: And, and, and Leon, I think this is a really important point, that in the sense that he, the word used was additional, you know, because you know, thank, thankfully there are some um, forests, you know, in, in you know in, in Europe and in, in the Amazon and you know in in America. Not not many in Australia, but there's a lot of desert there. But you know, it's no good saying, oh, the, the forests they create or they offset some carbon because they were already doing that. When you talk yeah. about additional. It's, you know, if you stick up, you know, a few acres of solar panels, then that's going to create renewable energy with um, very, very little carbon. And that's the additional carbon credits we're talking about, aren't we?
2: Correct. And and that that solar panel, if it's a quality one, should last for up to 30 years. And, and there's basically warranties to say that if it's properly maintained, that that's what it will do. So you're providing that that abatement or that additionality for the grid and for those local consumers, you know for that period and that, that's what we're trying to spawn is this uptake of solar and to pr- provide this kind of new ecosystem for financing solar the kind of capitalization or capital formation around solar parks and solar projects
1: okay and, and before, before i get james in because i know he's dying to say something because you've talked about ac dc and he loves his rock music <laughs> i know but <laughs> but, but the th- can, can you just just talk us through in your article you you talked about the three layers of architecture of a crypto of the crypto anchor concept in very simplistic terms, can you just try and unpack what do you mean by a crypto anchor?
2: Yeah, so a crypto anchor is actually something uh, that that is actually in in physical form. It, it's a a physical tag like an RFID co- code, or in the most minimal form would be a QR code, like okay. a barcode on a, on a can of fruit. Okay. Yeah. Um, So that is the most simple form of of a tag. But what we do is we use a smart card chip to provide a a crypto hook, a kind of mathematical uh, hook to anchor the foundation stone or cornerstone of that proof. And everything that is derived from that physical asset is linked back to that original anchor, that original root of trust. And that is the, that's the terminology of what a crypto anchor is. It's something physical that gives you that hook, and that hook has some kind of crypto um, mathematical anchor to it. And once you start learning how blockchains work, there's, there's ways that you can chain things together cryptographically, and that's the knowledge that we're leveraging with our crypto anchor. Uh, Our crypto anchor is designed that it will work with any type of blockchain, just like you uh, download a a ledger wallet and its applications, and it can work for Ethereum or Bitcoin or Hyperledger or Hedera Hashgraph. The same thing with us. We're creating a crypto anchor that someone we want the industry to use and to potentially link a blockchain to. And we don't really care what blockchain they link it to because in our mind, we're not setting the scene of which blockchain. There's going to be many blockchains of blockchains out there. And we want to make sure we, we provide that potential to be the industry standard for crypto anchors on solar. Got it. And, and, but
1: the original concept um, of, of crypto anchors, did it, I thought it came from IBM. Is that, am I correct?
2: Yeah. So IBM in their uh white paper in the IEEE in the article, it links to that. They they coined the phrase crypto anchor. And that that's uh one of our partners with our consortium, the Two Tokens Foundation in Netherlands. So you said in the land of clogs and tulips. So we we actually have a number of, of pilot projects with IBM and others in the ecosystem to use our, our crypto anchor and provide this this uh ecosystem benefit. Okay,
1: and, and just, just finally. For sort of clarity's sake, um, I you know, as you said, the fangs, the Apple, Facebook, Google, etc., you know, they've all come up with statements saying that they're gonna be carbon neutral by 2030, 2040, whatever it may well be. And clearly they 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 can't totally change their business. So therefore they but what they can do is make sure that they're sourcing their energy, typically electricity supplies, from renewable
2: places. Yeah, and to trace it and track it, and to be Absolutely. ethical about the transparency elements on that, and to not hide behind some opaque version of the truth.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's where the blockchain element comes in because, as you say, you can track and trace with transparency, um, so they can be certain that they're paying for that electricity and ultimately it's come from some form of renewable energy source.
2: Correct. Thanks, Great. Johnny.
1: James, I, I know I know you I know you've got some thoughts. Come on, what what do you reckon to all this
0: crypto? Speaking going
1: to keep of you, you know
0: to the ground. Speaking of dirty deeds done dirt cheap, <laughs> I uh, so I I hail from Long Island, right? Long Island, New York. Now back in the day, and I'm thinking on a user level. This will be one of the few times where where the user level becomes the residential level when we come to electric and solar. In in Long Island, you have the ability to, or at least when I at least left when I when I most recently last left the tongue twister <laughs> long island we we're able to sell our solar power back into the long island power authority and obviously 100 percent the honor system right the long island power authority would say you sold us you know 370 kilowatts of energy and they would give you a check for four bucks as opposed to having an electric bill because by law We had to have these meters installed on the homes no matter what. Uh, Fast forward, I I live in Georgia now. Ironically, my backyard is the uh, Navy base, so I'm all familiar with the Navy. Uh, In Georgia, we're nuclear power. So I recently inquired about getting solar panels, $26,000 federal tax credit, blah, blah, blah. You're right on point about the 30-year warranty. Is, is the, In the future, when this is adopted, can I, as a Joey Smith regular village idiot, have something like this smart meter included into my home, whereas Georgia doesn't allow me to sell power back, am I able to, will there be some sort of front end where I can take my credits
2: and put them on the market? so we're we're captured by regulation, and if you're in the blockchain industry, you understand you know organizations like the SEC and, uh, and let's call it government entities like that same same for energy. So we're kind of captured by energy regulation depending on where you live. <laughs> um, so uh, you are in georgia you you are basically got a very um, very capable nuclear facility. It provides low carbon energy, and so there are people that are are building solar projects around that. Also in Canada, the same thing is happening, right? We have a, a nuclear uh, industry, but also a, lo- a lot of hydropower in Canada and the government in their wisdom uh, of Ontario, they've killed in, they've killed the feed-in tariff program. And so the innovation is really happening around uh, campuses and precincts. So, so we would have innovation to do a, a power purchase agreement from your solar Uh, amongst the community let's say behind a a land title boundary so in a multi-dwelling building or in a campus or in an industrial complex and that's where the innovation is happening first because we're captured by regulation we can't actually transmit energy across a a land title boundary without being an energy retailer so um, the energy is that case now what what is separate to the energy is the carbon credits. So what is compelling about us tokenizing and, well, let's say digitizing and then minting and, car- and putting into tokens, the carbon credits, yes, they can be dematerialized from Georgia and sold to New York. So there is an, a plausible path forward where we would be able to have a community of users that would use our crypto anchors. We would mint those um Carbon credits to a, a type of industrial standard, and then we will be able to deliver those carbon credits for carbon abatement programs anywhere in the world. But you know, let's pick a market like California or New York, where the banksters are already doing this. So my okay, next so GAO
0: can... is going to be an HOA.
1: <laughs> so, Lynn, so we could stick a car, we could stick a, some solar panels on our homes, and even if we can't sell them into our local grids, we've got free energy to power homes and and James, power your bloody electric car that you love giving a plug, good old BMW. And, and you might not make any money, but you're going to save yourself in electricity bill. But possibly more importantly, if carbon credits keep going up, you're going to have a, almost like a something almost being produced out of thin air. It's almost alchemy because you're creating these carbon credits and those carbon credits do have a very tangible value, which you could sell off on top
0: of the energy savings. And that's what I'm saying. Hello? I see the incentivization yeah even if it's not yet i you know you can always make a change
2: to any any situation yeah so so in georgia the argument would be well what additionality you've already got a low carbon grid with with the, the nukes that are already there right so the additionality argument is going to be pretty weak to say that you've got solar compared to a nuclear um uh, energy the difference is is not so much but in australia where you know, we've got New South Wales burning coal and Queensland burning coal. 80% of the grid is coal-based fossil fuel in some parts of the night. Um, there's definitely an additionality argument to use wind and solar. And certainly South Australia has started to do that. And they've been overproducing uh, green energy and dispatching that to other states. And they've now, you know, run their grid on 100% renewables. Um, the, the industry said it was impossible but they've been doing that now for a number of weeks and months uh, over the past COVID lockdown. They've, they've made another um, sort of uh, set of milestones on, on how renewables can drive the grid.
1: Well, Leon, I can tell you, i just going back from Sydney. There's no point having solar panels in Sydney because it pissed with the rain for three weeks. <laughs> <miles there. laughs>
2: That's just because you were in town, Johnny. <laughs>
1: Leon, re- re- really, really interesting and really relevant. It, you know, we haven't used the acronym ESG, so I'm going to throw it out there because the whole environmental, so- social and corporate governance thing is, is really, really important. And um, you know, whether your company as a listener um, is doing anything with blockchain or digital assets, is, is, you know, that's, that's one thing. But one thing I can almost guarantee, your shareholders, your investors and your staff, Um, will be asking more and more about what are your ESG credentials and this whole thing of where are you sourcing things um, like your energy. And perhaps when you're going out for a tender, um, we had it last week, Um, we were doing some research for a company and we were up against another company. And they said, well, what are your ESG credentials? What do you positively do to actually improve the environment? And, you know, yes, we recycle paper, we turn the heating down and, you know, all that sort of stuff, and we try and take public transport. They said, yeah, yeah, but what else? What are you yeah. doing to offset? And I think this is going to become a bit – well, not I think. I know it's becoming a bigger and bigger issue. And and that whole thing about crypto anchors, which is essentially, how do you absolutely prove where that electricity has come from? Um, and, yeah, as, as you say, is it additional? You know, is it being produced in an area which really – you know, is needed, or is it perhaps, you know, maybe in Georgia, you could argue that um, you don't need it as much because you've got lots and lots of cheap, um, fairly green, I say, use the word fairly green, so you've got to get rid of the spent fuel rods after some time in a nuclear power station. That's another story. Perhaps you could put them up in a space, James. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> you, 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 you know, all your rocket work you're doing at the moment.
2: Send them to Putin. Anyway, Right. Let's figure that out. <laughs>
0: figure that one, out. I'm, involved yeah, in that one like, out. I'm involved in, like, three different space projects at this point. You keep yeah, all the electricity you want. are not going to get off rid the of plan. you. Guys. They're not trying to get rid of you.
2: So I'm I'm at a solar conference here today in in Amsterdam. It's called the Solar Plaza: The Future of Energy. And the and the real acceleration in policy, even out of Brussels, that you know doesn't move fast, is. While wow, we have to push renewables, it's a perverted incentive. But we're going to have a huge ramp up of renewables, including solar, in this yeah. region. And we just want to be the guys that digitize solar. We, if we can help turn on uh, solar and make it uh, part of this ecosystem play, and make sure that that transparency and reporting all happens, that this is a better outcome. And as an engineer, we just want to you know do, build the right thing with quality. And make it a better uh, society and that's part of the the argument of what sunified is doing
1: okay so leon how how do people get hold of you or sunified sunified and sunified is s-u-n-i-f-i-e-d isn't it sunified
2: sunified correct like the verb so they can reach out to me on my twitter handle leon underscore vandenberg v-a-n-d-e-n-b-e-r-g Or LinkedIn. Um, I'm I'm the only Leon Gerard Vandenberg in that whole ecosystem. So find me there and ask me anything. Uh, Any question is fair. And there may be some trolls out there. And I don't mind having a little bit of a bash up with you as well. (laughs) All right. Well, Leon, thank you very much. And
1: it'd be great to get you back on uh, the show perhaps later in the year and give us an update on how you're getting on, because I know you're rolling out this technology, you, you've already mentioned the, some of the work you're doing in Europe. I know you've got farms in Australia and spoke to your colleagues uh, down under a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. just I think it's a fascinating project because it's using the technology, it's using digital assets in a way that I don't think anyone, even five years ago, would have necessarily thought about this, effectively putting a digital wrapper around electrons uh, and Correct. creating a whole new asset class for, for it, for investors and a way of funding some of the renewable energy that we you know the world desk we still needs if we're going to hit these um you know climate change goals but uh, absolutely yeah. thanks so james that's um that's it that's it for this week and uh, thank you for getting everything sorted and organized and obviously if anyone would like a copy of uh, this week's digital bites or ongoing weekly editions then please get hold of james tiley at cyber.fm um amongst your 4.6 million listeners james so you're spreading the love so to speak in what 140 countries is that right
0: yeah, they, they've all recently learned that koala bears carry an STD. So we really do add a lot of value to this industry. And and there is a man
1: that has his finger in a dike. Alex. <laughs> we learn about Yeah, I'm really just well, not doing it, man. It's, oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Or, or alternatively, if you don't want to get a hold of James, then speak to me, Johnny Fry, J O N N Y F R Y on LinkedIn, um, and happily uh, send you a copy of Digivite. So. James, I think for this week, that's it. And we'll be back on the airways for next week for another edition of Digital Bike Show on FM.